0: It's good to be in God's house, amen. How are you doing? You're all right? grateful we have heat in this building, amen. Good night, it's cold outside. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We are so glad that you're with us today. Those joining us online for the first time, welcome, and a shout out to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love, family. Clap for them. Let them know we love them. I want to get right into the Word of God this morning. I have about fourteen messages. I'm going to try to condense into one, and um, but I want to desperately get across to you what I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to get across to you. And uh, we are going to begin in the Book of Colossians. We're going to jump into the Gospel of Luke, and then back into Second Corinthians. But if you stay with me long enough, um, I think I'll be able to take you somewhere. Is that good? I think we need to pray before we get started, primarily for me, um, so that the Lord will help me focus and get through this. Um, Will you pray with me and kind of for me? Okay. Father, I thank you for this time that we share. Holy Spirit, I pray that this would be unique, unique because of what you will do, not because of what I will do. I pray that you will use us and through the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to mess with us, to refine us. To confront lies and issues in our heart, so that we can better reflect you in all that we do, in your precious name we pray. A Faithful Church, said, Amen. "Amen." The Gospel of Luke, chapter thirteen, verse six. Jesus is talking um, to those who are around them, and he's primarily talking about the issue of repentance. Now, we know last week when we talked in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church primarily filled with young believers. They are Gentiles, non-Jews in this environment. They're being tested in their faith. People are contesting um, the doctrine that the Apostle Paul had delivered them. But Paul begins by writing and saying, listen, the gospel is bearing fruit all around the world, just as it is in you as you understand God's word and God's grace and And so he expresses to them how the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's brought to us, when we understand it and we walk in it, it will yield fruit in our lives. And I want to turn to this passage of scripture because Jesus um, says something quite profound. And I want you to follow along as we read this short parable found in the gospel of Luke. Um, It begins this, Jesus is speaking, And he says, a certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, he's saying, look, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? (laughs) It's pretty hard. And he answered and said to him, the vineyard keeper, the gardener said to the owner, let it alone, sir, for this year too. Give me one more year. That's what he's saying. Give me one more year until I dig around it, put fertilizer on it. And if it bears fruit next year, then fine. But if not, then cut it down. Then cut it down. Jesus is talking about repentance. And I believe Um, not only is it affirmed through scripture that the first fruit that any of us can yield in our life um, comes by the way of repentance, repentance. This is a fascinating parable that Jesus taught. And it's in alignment not only with his ministry, but what was publicly proclaimed um, in the ministry of John the Baptist. For three years, John the Baptist and Jesus went around um, proclaiming um, the kingdom of God is near to let fruit be evident through your repentance. And for three years, Jesus' ministry existed, proclaiming to people around him, repent so that you can be saved. And yet there was little fruit from people's repentance. In the gospel of Luke in chapter three, you see that John the Baptist would go around and he'd say to people proclaiming in verse eight, therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. He says this, He says that the axe is already laid at the root of the tree and every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's thrown into the fire. And um, this is just, this is one of the things early on in my journey with Jesus, I would read stuff like that and I'd have like uh, many panic attacks um, that I was one of those trees that was just gonna get cut down and thrown into the fire. Does anyone else feel like that? Your pastor's the only one. Praise God. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. Okay, so I, I thought I thought that, okay, maybe, and I, I that I was missing everything. The interesting thing about this parable, and I want to kind of just backtrack a little bit with you, is the owner walks into the garden and he sees a tree that is not producing. It's, it's not doing what it was intended to do. And and so there was an expectation by the owner and the tree wasn't performing to the expectation the owner had. And so there was a level of judgment in that, in that place, meaning there was an expectation. The expectation was not met. And so there was a judgment on that. And what was the judgment? Death to the tree. Cut her down, you know. There was no like, well, does it have sun? Is it blocked? Oh, those trees were planted in the good soil on that side of the tracks. But this tree was planted on this side. So you know, just not, it wasn't producing, cut it down. Oh, <laughs> There is a sense of hard judgment towards the tree. Do you know in this parable, there are really three entities, three entities presented here. The first was God and he is the owner of the vineyard. The second one is the gardener or the vineyard keeper. And that entity or that person is the representation of Christ. And then the tree is important because the tree really has two symbolic representations. It has, it's representative of the nation of Israel, right? And the, uh, John the Baptist actually speaks in, in chapter three about um, the nation of Israel saying, hey, listen, I know you say, well, our forefather is Abraham and all this. And then he says to him, if, the God, if God in heaven wants a new nation, he'll birth it out of these rocks. So you know what he's saying? That won't save you. He says, you need to reap fruit through the act of repentance. And so he's professing that all people need to do this. The third third entity, like I said, is the tree. It represents the nation of Israel, but it represents you and it represents me. Now, I think this is really important. This is what I, I desperately want you to get from our conversation today around this, is that in your journey with the Lord, there is a continual need not only to weed the garden of your heart, and to be present in every thought and everything that enters into your mind and to your life. But we need to understand this divine interaction with humanity. We need to understand how God interacted with us through the person of Jesus Christ. Now you you may understand it in its simplicity, but I want you to get it primarily so that the journey that you walk in with Jesus doesn't become one that's filled with judgment, condemnation, fear, anxiety, and stress. Because if Christ came from heaven to earth to set the captives free, do you know how he said, I did not come for the righteous, but I've come for the unrighteous. I didn't come for the well, I've come for the sick. The truth is what he's saying is, I've come for everyone because everyone is sick. Everyone needs me. I remember hearing that in the past. I'm saying, man, I wonder who these non-sick people are. You need to find them. There are none. Everyone is sick. And so he's just helping people recognize that this is what he's helping people. He's speaking to the self-righteous, the people who don't think they need a physician to heal them. That's why he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because you say you see, you're blind. He said that, he says, because you say that you can see, you're blind and your guilt still remains. Because what you say, when you say to God, I can see apart from you, is that I can save myself without you. And he says, that's how I know the guilt still remains and that sin still remains and you're blind. And so he speaks to everyone under under heaven and proclaims to them, I've come to redeem humanity. And this short little parable not only speaks to his intentions of how to heal, how to restore, and how to redeem. He speaks almost to the process by which it will happen. When I first said yes to Jesus and I came to church, uh, when I came to church, I was carried into church. I didn't have a choice. My, My father was a pastor and my grandfather, but I remember being in church and... And trying to figure out the system to live under to make God happy and myself happy. And how many of you know that's like a futile exercise? Because you're never okay. How many of you know, like just think of this past week, right? Think of all the good that happened. And the one bad can, over, it can overcome all of the good. To the very thing you walked in with this week is the one bad report. And you've forgotten the 99 good ones. It's as if in us, if there is ever levied a judgment upon us, we have an inability to see the blessing and the goodness, we only see the judgment. This story is is quite significant in the fact that the owner comes in and says something is not right in the way that I designed it and because it's not right, get rid of the tree. Early on in this parable, the only two entities that initially exist in it are the Father and us, that we are not in good standing. We are unable to bear fruit. And the expectation is that we bear fruit. Have you ever lived under the expectation like you need to produce something and year after year after year you are unable to produce it? And then what does that do to you? It allows you to walk in the joy and the peace that comes from heaven. No, it allows you to live under this cloud of judgment and constant condemnation. It's like, man, I screwed up again. I'm not going to do it. That's why every year we have these these New Year resolutions to make myself better. How do they go? Because this is never the way that it was intended to be, that you fix yourself independently from God. And so what happens in that route is that you, be, you constantly become more frustrated with who? Yourself. When the gardener comes onto the scene, the very first thing that he does is advocate for who? For you. He actually says to the father, give me time with the tree. He actually says, don't cut it down. Thank you, God. <laughs> give it some more time. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. You, you know what? He is your advocate. And when an advocate enters on the scene, do you know the first thing that he does is he re- he removes the levied judgment upon your head. The judgment's gone. The only way that you will yield fruit is if the judgment is gone. And that's what Jesus brings. And we understand it as grace. He brings grace to us. And we are, listen, if this is, this is a word that you can be familiar with but often never even understand. Unmerited favor. Getting what I don't deserve. Because of my sin, I deserve death. But because of his grace, I get salvation. Unmerited favor. Unmerited simply means I cannot produce it myself. But he gives it to me anyway. Favor is his is his goodness bestowed upon me. Unmerited favor. I can't, God can. I can't, God can. Produce fruit. I'll try. I'll come back to church. How you doing? Horrible, but I'm gonna keep trying. Come back to church. How's the marriage? Terrible. We're fighting every week, but I'm gonna keep trying. You know, and it's like, how's the business? Horrible, but I'm gonna keep trying. How's the attitude? sucks but i'm going to keep trying you know it's it's just over struggle and I, I mean i've real this is something that is so deep in my heart i want you to get this because if you don't get this you will be strangled by lies that are not in god's word and you'll utter things like this is this is the way it's supposed to be church isn't for me i never understood it this is just the way it's going to be no 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 that's not the way it needs to be Let God have the finish, say, allow him to do in your life what he's saying he's willing to do for this tree, which is what? Dig around it, fertilize it, and give it time. I want to talk to you about that. What does it really mean when he says that I want to dig around it, I want to fertilize it, and I need time? When when Jesus, whose representation is represented in this as the gardener, he says to the father, "I, I need to dig around it. I need to dig around it. And one of the primary things he's saying is I need to deal with the weeds or I need to deal with the lies or the roots that are preventing it from producing fruit. And for many of us, it's, you know, my father told me this past year, hey, it will be a fantastic thing, son, if you plant a garden for the kids. And I, I fell for it, church. I fell for it. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, let's, let's plant a garden. Let's plant everything. You know, why go to the store and buy it? You know, we could just plant it all, you know. And I was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, develop my skill sets. And we've had gardens our whole life in our childhood, and I didn't realize how hard it was until I tried it myself. And, um, but rather than going out and buying small plants, I was like, I don't need to do that. I will plant it the seed. And I will nourish the seeds, and we will get all the little plants growing in our home, and it's gonna be wonderful. It was horrible. And um, I didn't realize that, you know, that I had children that were very um, uh, mischievous, and they would, pl- you know, desire to water the plants 45 times a day. And um, you go out there, and the table would just be covered in water, and you're like, what's happening? They're like, Water in the plants. And I'm like, no, you're killing the plants that we just spent all that time working on. And, and so a- after the first few months of trying to grow the seed and all the plants died, um, we didn't give up. And uh, we went and bought some plants and we planted some seeds and we went out and we planted everything in the garden. And I'm not going to lie, dad was a little discouraged. So you know how you open the bag and it's like one seed every four inches. I was just like, took the bag. <laughs> Liza comes back, she's like, um, I think there's like, 47 cucumber plants in like a foot. I was like, praise God, 100 fold, 60 fold, 30 fold. I was like, God is good. And she's like, I don't think you read the bag. I was like, leave me alone. you know. What I think? And so, and we planned all. We went out the next day with the kids and I'm like, I'm just admiring the steaks that we put in the ground that was like lettuce, tomatoes, cucumbers. Didn't see nothing, but I'm just like, look at those steaks, they look great, you know? And the kids say to me, dad, we have a problem. Like they run in the first day. I kid you not. It was, it was pretty funny actually. And they're like, we have a problem. There's no vegetables in the garden. And I'm like, okay, this is a great lesson. It, when you plant the seed, it takes time. And then we'll, it'll, over time, if we water it right um, and the sun comes out, we'll have some vegetables. And they were like, they got it. They got it. And so the next day they run back and they're like, Dad, there's still no fruit. There's vegetables in the garden. You said it just needed time. And I was like, yes. And they're like, well, it's been a day. And I'm like, we need more time. And then they look at me and they say this, how much time? And I said, dad doesn't know. But it's probably gonna be longer than a day, a week, two weeks, or three weeks. Dad doesn't really know. But over time, if we don't kill them like we did before, we're gonna get something. And so literally the frustration they had was the issue of time. But not only that, what I find fascinating is the way that we we cared for them in the time when it yielded nothing, but the only thing that was present because we stirred up the soil were the weeds. Now, this is an interesting thing because when you stir up the soil, the good has a chance to grow, but so does the bad. And if you neglect the bad, it will... Choke out the good when it comes. Like I remember at one point my grandfather uh, back in the day decided to do like a seven-acre garden. Thought it was a great idea. And my father's like, hey, Dad, I don't think anyone's going to come to weed it. He's like, yes, they will. And uh, I think we were the only ones that showed up. Everyone came when the when it was ready to harvest, but, you know, very few came to weed. But there were certain portions of that garden where it was like we didn't have the time in weeks the weeds overcame everything. You couldn't even find the plant because the weeds were so big. You're like, what does this have to do? There are some lies in our life that we have never confronted for decades. And can I tell you something? A lie doesn't magically disappear because you walk into church. You could believe a lie right here sitting, sitting in this environment as we preach God's word. Lies that pertain to issues of unforgiveness and bitterness. You say, I'm just not forgiving. I refuse to do it. That small lie will become a root. It'll root itself down into your heart. And the Bible speaks of this. The apostle Paul refers to them as strongholds. And he uses a military term, a stronghold. It is the most fortified place in all of the city. No one can penetrate that. And he says, that's what a lie and deception becomes in your life a stronghold. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that we we don't wage war the way that this world wages war. He says we wage it differently. We confront it differently. Matter of fact, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says that on the contrary, we wage war with divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Some of you, I, I, I don't know, I was always a person sitting there, I'm like, well, why? Well, why? You know, every thought, why? Well, it's like walking to the garden and you say, hey, pull that little weed and you go, why? It's only a little weed. I come back in three weeks and tell me what that is. Come back in a year. In two years, it's an issue of discipline and discernment to realize that something will grow if it's planted. And you need to realize the manifestation of what will be reality if you permit it to grow. And if you could see what a weed would do to prevent you from yielding fruit, the moment you saw it, you'd pluck it out. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that we take every single thought Not just the ones we think we need to hold to the obedience of Christ, but every thought. Why? Because that is the only way that you and I can demolish strongholds, lies in our life. When Jesus came to the Father, the owner of the vineyard, and says, I want time, I want to dig and I want to fertilize, digging is bringing truth. And that's how he deals with the lies, he brings truth. We read through scripture about how we speak truth in love to one another. But I need you to hear me. The only thing that can enable you to yield fruit that is honoring to God is if truth exists in your life. It must be present. And can I say this to you? Jesus is talking about this issue of repentance, meaning that The first fruit that's yielded from your life is salvation that comes through the way of repentance. So the first fruit that's yielded in the believer's life is their recognition and their need of Jesus. to say, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart. I believe that you were raised from the grave and I'm now a child of God. And the Bible says that that repentance and that confession and that belief has yielded salvation. But do you know in the believer's journey with the Lord, there is the continual need to allow the Holy Spirit to dig around you and to fertilize you. Pastor Brian was up on the platform and talking about tithing. Early on in my journey, I realized that it's one thing to know God's word. It's another thing to live by it. It's one thing to hear God's word. It's another thing to allow lies to squeeze God's word to where you actually believe yourself more than you believe the Bible. I realize that if I were to say to someone here today, hey, steward what God gave you, and you say, praise God, I'm going to steward it. And then I let you go and let you leave without equipping you and training you according to the word of God of what stewardship looks like. Stewardship is, mo- is primarily expressed through the avenue of finances, but I believe that God entrusts us to steward everything that He's blessed us with. The relationships, the gifts, the talents, everything that He has uniquely blessed us with, God wants us to steward things well. I realized early on in our church that, that this should be a house of equipping. Why? My idea, not my idea. Ephesians 4, when God gives the gifts of the ministry, the ministry gifts to the body of Christ, He does so that He can... O- so that we can equip the saints for the works of ministry. (laughs) It's like me expecting my children to yield the fruit of patience without instilling it into them. It's like me expecting my children to understand what maturity looks like in difficult seasons without walking it out and teaching them and equipping them. The one thing you need to recognize is that the tree was unable to do anything apart from the care that came through Jesus. There's part of me that loves that. And some of you need to hear it. Because some of you have been living under condemnation, but it says in Romans 7 that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That when your advocate came on the scene, he removed that umbrella of judgment. You will not yield fruit if you live under the umbrella of judgment. And the only reason if you, if you still live under it is because you have yet to receive and walk in the grace that comes from Jesus. The judgment's gone. He removes it. He removes it and he wants you to recognize that he was the only one that could remove it. You know what I love about this tree is in itself it cannot produce fruit. It needed the care that came from beyond itself for years I would come into church and it was like I was this barren tree and I'd be like, it's all right, just give me another year. And I'd come back and I'd have no fruit. I'd be like, it's all right, I just need another year. And I'd come back and nothing would change. Now I like to say this to the young person who's been brought to church their whole life by their parents and they're like, yeah, I get it. Your life will never change if it's just a casual acquaintance with Jesus. You can't live off the revelation of your parents grandparents have to have a revelation of Jesus for yourself and you don't need to wait long and let me encourage you not to wait long to have that revelation just picture Jesus saying to you what he said to Peter who am I to you who am I to you and there's this powerful revelation to recognize that apart from Christ we can do nothing I'm going to dig around you I'm going to bring truth into your world I'm going to cut off all the lies and I'm going to fertilize what is the fertilization it's grace It's grace. It's grace. It's enabling, inexhaustible grace that comes into your life. And what does it do? It removes that level of judgment above our heads. And then the final thing that he pleads with the Father is time. I just need time. Give me some time. And what I love about Scripture is that (laughs) the Bible teaches us that we are uniquely gifted Can you say amen to that? You're like looking at your spouse. You're like, yes, amen. We are uniquely gifted, but we are one body. And Christ is the head. In Ephesians 4, the scripture teaches us something very unique. And I say unique because church can produce an environment of healing and grace or it can produce this sense of works and judgment. And I think when the only way that you can have it in proper balance is first to understand what grace is. Because if you don't understand grace you won't understand the significance of sin And if you don't understand the significance of sin, you won't understand the significance of grace. Does that make sense? Some people, when they hear grace, are like, ah, it's just I do whatever I want and God's going to forgive me. That's not what grace is. That's not what it is. Sin is so significant that it required the Father to send His one and only Son from heaven to earth to bleed and to die on a cross so that your salvation could be purchased through the blood of Jesus. It was not cheap. Grace is something that you receive but means simply this. If you're the tree, you can't produce it until you receive grace. And once you receive grace, the judgment is removed. The axe is pulled away from the base of the tree. Truth is dug around your soul, around your heart. And the word of God enables us as a body To begin to help one another become the fullness of Christ, obtaining to the maturity that he desires for us to have. In Ephesians chapter 4, the reason I love this text so much is because it paints a picture of the body of Christ in this mystery of the body of Christ. And this is what this is what it says. It says, but speaking truth in love, we are to grow up. Somebody say amen. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which is every, that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Listen, this is what it does. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. I believe that God intended this family through the preaching of God's word to cultivate an environment that enables us (laughs) to help one another heal in our brokenness. That's why James says to confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. It's as if the Bible teaches us that healing comes from God, but the vessel that he uses for what, for, for us to be healed is the body of Christ, is the knitting together of what we bring in its uniqueness. And so he, he requires us to, to mourn with those that are mourning and rejoice with those that are rejoicing, to do life with one another. That's why, I like, if you are on the peripheral of church, like you are a spectator, nothing will make sense. And if you're new to church and that's where you're at, that is fine, we, we go through seasons of life. But if that's where you've decided to plant yourself, I think there'll be many things that you'll just miss from standing shoulder to shoulder with people in the journey with Jesus. I want to encourage you, some of you, you're in a season right now, and that season, you want want this season to pass so desperately. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this season. What do you want me to see in this season? Church, I pray this prayer so many times in certain seasons. i like, God, get, this season sucks. Get me out of this season right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I rebuke the devil. Get me out of this season right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, and, and I just never felt like God gave me permission to move out of it. And then all of a sudden, I just started praying like, Holy Spirit, help me to see what you want me to see. Teach me what you want me to know. Let me be stretched and challenged. Church, I believe that we equip one another in every season. Well, how do we equip one another? Well, we need to do life with one another. You say, well, pastor, that's hard to do in a big church. Well, Christ came to save all humanity. And the Bible teaches that we are all one body, his church. And I believe that through small groups and through teams and through intentionality, we can cultivate an environment where there is a sense of love and care a place where you're known, not just as a face, but with a name and a story and a journey. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit that God can help you heal aspects of your heart that have been broken. And you don't have to allow the weeds in your life. Some of you, you have allowed things to just become so rooted, you can't see Christ throughout, you know, through the lens of your own brokenness. And guess what? Like Christ, the scriptures say that His kindness and his patience lead us to repentance. So if he's patient with us, we're going to be patient with one another. Amen. I want to pray for you. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? The Bible teaches us that apart from God, we cannot accomplish anything. It teaches us that sin separates us from the Father. Sin. What is sin? It's a cancer. It destroys and corrupts everything good in us. But God had a rescue plan. He sent Jesus, His one and only Son, from heaven to earth. He lived the perfect life, the Scriptures proclaim, and He went to the cross. And on that cross, He was crucified. His blood was shed, and He died. The Scripture teaches that He became sin for us. But he didn't stay on that cross, and he didn't stay in the tomb. The Bible declares that he was raised to life on the third day, defeating sin and death. Right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible teaches us that though all of us have been, been born physically, we must be born again or born spiritually. Jesus, in a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus, tells him all people under heaven must be born again. Salvation is by grace through faith. There's that word again, grace. It's unmerited. You know what it means? You can't do it. You can't do it, but he can. And so he extends to you his arm of salvation. And you would say, well, what is required of me? A response to the goodness of heaven. And that response is first repentance to say, God, forgive me for thinking that I could yield something apart from you. I need you. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. It's a beautiful picture of a divine exchange. Many of us might think, well, I'm not worthy of it. None of us are. But that's where his grace comes in and his love. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love towards us that while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so however you arrive today, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate to you the areas in your life that you need to give attention to. Maybe there are weeds in your heart that need to be uprooted. And may you allow the Holy Spirit to dig around them. May allow the grace of God to fertilize and nurture you in that season. You're vulnerable when truth comes. Offense can come. Disruption can come. When you dig down into issues in your heart that you haven't touched in years, issues of unforgiveness and bitterness and frustration and anger, when you start allowing the Holy Spirit to dig around them, my friend, you're gonna have every opportunity to allow the lies of the enemy to be planted in that season. But I believe that if you do what the scripture teaches and hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, man, that there are good seasons ahead. And I wanna pray for you First and foremost, for those who are ready to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're here today or watching online and you're you're saying, Today is my day. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer. So come on, True North. Let's lead people to Jesus. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, clap for everybody that said yes. Come on, family, stand to your feet. Hey, I want to encourage you in this season to abide and trust in Jesus more than any other season. Look at me real quick. It's difficult to say that you abide in someone you don't spend time with. Can you say amen? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we always find time for the things that we find important? I want you to know that there is an adversary that desires you do not spend time with God. I just want you to know that. And I want you to know that God desires to spend time with you. And ask the Holy Spirit on a constant basis do what i do just talk to yourself in the car all the time people will be like what is wrong with that guy it's like he must have bluetooth i don't you know it's like just talking to my to my father in heaven and but i pray for you often i think of you often and i desperately don't want you to live under the condemnation and guilt that christ came to set you free from but i also don't want you to continue to wallow in the same sin season after season if you're expecting a different result But you don't change anything. I think they've described that as insanity. (laughs) Try something new. Get connected into a crew. Start serving on team. Stay around in the lobby for more than 45 seconds. (laughs) Talk to someone. Build relationships. Is it easy? No. But nothing easy ever comes overnight. It takes time and it's a journey. And let's be patient with one another in our families, in our homes, and in our surroundings that are on the journey. Can you say amen? If you said yes to Jesus, we are so excited for you. We're encouraged about your decision. As you exit today, we have a gift for you. As you leave to the left, you're gonna see a bunch of people waving these Bibles um, and it's a gift from us to you from your new family to you, and we want to just encourage you in your journey. You might be like, well, I said that prayer. No one knows. The Bible says, Jesus says this. He says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. This is your opportunity to say, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I am born again, and we want to celebrate with you today. We're so excited for you about the decision you made. You can clap for him. Come on. If you're- and then finally, listen. If you need prayer for something, I know, I don't know if it's the jersey in us. We got to pray that out sometimes. It's like the arrogance and the cup. I'm fine. Everything is falling apart around me, but I'm fine, you know, standing on my faith. That's good. I want you to be but I want you to be willing to receive prayer. Maybe more importantly, I want you to be comfortable enough to ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon that you've been entrusted under heaven to use as something to fight against the enemy with. If you want someone to stand beside you, maybe you're young in your journey with Jesus. You're like, man, I don't even know how to pray. We have a team of people that are mature in their walk with Jesus and they will help pray with you. They'll help teach you how to pray, encourage you in your prayer life. But all you have to do is walk your feet over to the next step and say, hey, can you pray with me? Can you encourage me? Whatever it is, and I'm telling you, they'd be more than happy to stand alongside you and to help you in your journey. So listen, let me pray for you before you go. Stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you, family. Father, I thank you that you are faithful in all seasons. And Father, I pray right now for every marriage in this space. Holy Spirit, strengthen it. We rebuke any work of the enemy, any attack of the enemy to divide marriages. Discontentment, bitterness, frustration, anger. Holy Spirit, begin a work in the hearts of every marriage present in this room. Father, may humility be present. May love and grace and patience and kindness be present. Father, may our homes, may our homes, those who declare that we are sons and daughters of heaven, may our homes be filled with hope and may our homes be filled with good words of encouragement and kindness. Father, may self, you know, self-discipline be evident and self-control be evident in our lives, Father, as followers of you. Holy Spirit, go with us as we go today. In your precious and holy name, we pray, a faithful church sin. Amen. Amen. God bless, guys.